Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. I absolutely love Babbel because their courses help me learn real-life conversational skills. It's so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, speak to the locals without having to consult language apps. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time offer for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners, at babbel.com SPP. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest. I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to Welcome smartpeoplepodcast.com. It's that time again for another Smart People Podcast. How's everybody doing? I'm one of the hosts, Chris Stemp. And I'm John Rojas. Thanks for joining us, as always. And this is our new studio. Yeah, it's halfway there. Can we say halfway? No, it's almost there. I'd say it's about 95% there. You guys, I know we're, we're coming a day or two late. We try and get these things out on Sunday, but we've literally put our blood, sweat, and tears into this. So the studio is coming along. We have some pictures up on Facebook, and I think, John, you're going to post some more? Yeah, I'm going to keep posting some. So it's cool. We got some uh, some sound. What are those things called? Sound panels? Yeah, we'll paneling. just call it acoustic foam. There you go. Acoustic foam. We got our whiteboards. We're, we're all ready to bring you guys some awesome stuff and uh, today's episode is included in that awesome stuff. Uh, before we get into that, this stuff in the, in the studio doesn't pay for itself. So make sure you head on over to smartpeoplepodcast.com. And anytime you buy anything through Amazon, click on the banner at the top. We get a little kickback, no cost to you as always, and helps us out. Yeah, and if you're feeling super giving, you can also donate to us on our page. We do have a donate button on there. That's true. And they can just kick us some money if they want to do that. Yeah, let's keep we, going. We never complain about that. Let's keep going with the pointless plugs. We're on Facebook. Yeah, what else can we plug? Twitter. Check us out. Twitter, Smart, Smart People Pod. How much do you want us to throw at you? Kitchen sink. The, the kitchen we'll sink. throw everything. That's what I was just about to say. You can check out my LinkedIn page. <laughs> So anyways, thanks for joining us today. Really awesome episode. It's really cool. The guy we talked to today, I'll let John tell you a little bit more about him, but he talks about the things that we really believe in here, creativity, how to utilize your brain and your powers. Everybody has the ability to be creative and really try and add to the human experience as we're all in here for the same thing. So why don't you tell him about who, who we got today? This week, we talked to Austin Cleon. He's a writer but also an artist. He calls himself a writer who draws. 
He wrote Steel Like an Artist and Newspaper Blackout. And he does, you know, artwork. You can find his stuff on 20by200.com. It's really cool stuff. I actually purchased the piece as soon as you told me about him. Yeah, and he did. I was doing some research. I was like, wow, I got to have this one. Bought it, framed it. It's hanging up in my room now. And Pretty I don't cool. know if, if you caught that. So the, the book, Steal Like an Artist, and he is an artist. It's a really cool idea. He talks about how nothing these days really is, is completely original. And it's even harder with how connected we are with the internet and everything. If you come up with a great idea, we've all been there. I'd probably go there about 10 times a day. Come up with an idea, get pumped, go on Google. It's been done 37 different ways. But the thing I like about what Austin has to say is you can improve on that. If, if you take somebody's idea, make it a little better, you've actually benefited us all. And that's how a lot of the best things have come out today is just uh, improving on things. The cream rises to the top. You know, you've got 10, 15 people doing the same thing. The better things out there are going to be the things that get noticed. And, you know, those are the things that people are going to look out for and buy or trade, whatever they do. Yeah, I mean, you see it all the time and all your internet searching. You got things like the Pinterest and... Oh, yeah, Pinterest. And whatever, all those things. I mean, they're just, it's the social media thing. If somebody just said, wow, Facebook covered it all, then we wouldn't have all all these cool things. But people improve on it, and clearly it's doing well. So Austin Cleon is the guy we're speaking to here in a minute. We'll turn it over to him. Hope you enjoy it. Hope you get that spark of creativity and uh, learn a little something yet again on Smart People Podcast. The first thing I want to do, your book, Steal Like an Artist, is a New York Times bestseller. It's incredible. And I'm sure there are still people, probably people that will listen to the podcast that are unaware of it. And I, I want to talk to you about your background a little bit first and how you got to be a writer, an artist, like as your full-time job. So if you could just kind of let us know, you know, was this always your aspiration? What were you doing? What kind of got you there? That kind of thing. Uh, sure. Um, so I never thought I would make a living at, uh, art or writing. Um, I, uh, when I got out of undergrad, um, I got a job as a librarian and, um, I just started, you know, I, I kind of started this dual life, you know, um, I wrote and I drew in my free time and then, you know, I have my job, you know, my day job the rest of the time. So, Um, I was working as a librarian for a while and then I, um, started, uh, I, it's, it's hard for me to figure out how to tell the stories cause it's like two, (laughs) two different people. And then finally they merge at the end, you know, that's, that's a good story um, though. I like to find how people (laughs) merge into that. So basically my story is I got right out of college. I got a job in the library. Um, you know, a lot of writers, they, um, they go right to like an MFA program right after undergrad. But um, I had really good professors that were like, look, don't go to grad school. Just get a job right in your spare time. So I got a job at a library in Cleveland um, that was part-time. And then the rest of the time I wrote and drew. And, um, you know, it's interesting now because I actually see that time as my MFA. You know, it was like I had half the week to write and draw and just kind of like um, explore whatever I wanted to explore. And then the other half I was working. Um, but right around that time is when I started making my newspaper blackout poems, which is where I take a marker and an article from the newspaper. And I actually redact the article into these little, um, 
these little like found poems. Uh, it kind of looks like if the CIA did haiku. <laughs> uh, so I started making these poems and I started blogging, uh, you know, daily. And so when I was at the library, a big part of my job was actually teaching people how to use computers. Like I was kind of an internet policeman <laughs> at the library and I was teaching like senior citizens how to like use email and stuff like that. Right. Um, so I actually discovered um, web design because I, I was like, hey, I want to be on the other side of the screen. I want to like make websites for other people um, instead of having to teach people how to use them. Um, so uh, when my wife got into graduate school, about two years after um, I got out of college, um, we moved to Austin, Texas. And then I got a job as a web designer at the law school. So I started making websites and started taking everything I learned from that job and pouring it into my own personal site. And in the meantime, like the blackout poems had kind of taken off. They were getting more popular. You know, about a year after we moved to Texas is when an editor at HarperCollins contacted me and said, hey, have you ever thought about a book? And, you know, of course I said, hell yes, I thought about a <laughs> <Yeah>. book. <laughs> and uh, so we worked on Newspaper Blackout, uh, which was my first book. Um, it took me like half, uh, you know, kind of like half a year to get that together. But then it, it wasn't released until 2010. Um, so in the meantime, I started um, selling fine art prints of my work um, got hooked up with a lady named Jen Beckman who runs a um, site called 20by200.com, which is like affordable art prints for everyone, kind of. They, they have like really um, – they have a really cool site. Um, and they're uh, – so I started selling my prints through them, um, you know, started doing some speaking gigs here and there. And then when Newspaper Blackout came out, you know, it didn't really change my life right away. It was kind of like – I was still a working web designer, you know, oh, still okay. like still working and, and doing the poet thing on the side. And at that point, I actually had a, a friend who worked in marketing and he was like, hey, have you ever thought about copywriting? Because he knew I was a writer and he knew I was pretty good at um, the web. So I actually got a job as an interactive copywriter. And when I made the switch to that job... I got an email from a community college in upstate New York, and they said, hey, we'd like you to come talk to our student body um, at our convocation. We'd like you to give like a, a convocation speech. And so I was just completely terrified <laughs> about, you know, the idea of like talking to students about what they should be doing with their lives, you know, because like usually those talks are very much like advice talks, right, you know. Right, yep. So um, I've kind of had this idea always that all advice is autobiographical. Like when people give you advice, they're really just talking to themselves in the yes. past. You know? yes. So I kind of just came up with this list of 10 things that I would have liked to hear when I was in college. And so I went up to upstate New York and gave this talk and it went pretty well. But then I'm also kind of a, a digital native in that like something hasn't actually happened unless it's on the internet. So I uh, took this text and the slides from the talk and put them on my blog and it just kind of went viral overnight, you know, as they say. And um, it became clear that that was going to be my next book. And so when I sold Steel Like an Artist, you know, I had enough dough saved up that uh, I was actually able to leave my copywriting job and go on tour for the book. 
And um, I went on a 20-city tour behind steel. And that's kind of where we are now. Like, I just got back from book tour and um, just kind of like, uh, you know, the book becoming a bestseller and that kind of thing has just kind of like opened up a lot of opportunities for me. And so now I'm just kind of like figuring out what, uh, you know, what's next. That seemed really, really long-winded. I'm sorry. No, no, that's (laughs) amazing. Don't worry about it. Hope no, I'm not like bored. Uh, you can edit that down, hopefully. Yeah, well, if we want to, we might. But you know, I mean, believe me, we get uh, a lot more long-winded than that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just you know, I do think that um, when you have, I mean, it's so rare nowadays that you can really support yourself, you know, just by doing you know whatever your passion work is. And I would actually say that now. You know, um, I don't make all my money just from like, you know, making art. You know, I make my money off doing speaking gigs and selling books and stuff like that. So, you know, you always have a day job no matter what. You know, So, um, yeah. yeah. And actually, one of the things that I wanted to ask then is what was the tipping point? What was the point where you got to become, you know, you get to work almost solely on what drives you? What is your passion? Well, a couple of things happen. I mean, one of the things I write about in Steel is just how important it is to just save a ton of money and just stay out of debt. And I happen to be married to a woman that's cheaper than I am even, which is (laughs) so my wife and I have just over the past five, you know, we've been married for uh, five years and we've just worked really hard on establishing low overhead. You know, our house is really cheap. And we've just tried to save as much money as we can. So, um, you know, when I sold the book, uh, Steel, for kind of a modest amount, you know, we just had enough saved up that I just kind of – I remember going to my um, to my bosses at my copywriting job and saying, can I get a month or two off? You know, I said I just wanted to take unpaid leave uh, when the book came out to go on book tour. Um, because it's kind of amazing when like most publishers these days don't send you on a book tour cause it's just too expensive and it doesn't really, you know, always work out. And a lot of authors aren't that good at book tour. You know, they're not extroverted. They're not interested in, you know, speaking publicly and stuff like that. So I went into, you know, the higher ups and I was kind of like, you know, I'd really like to get a month or two unpaid leave and then I'd come back, you know, after this tour and, they just weren't into it. You know, they're like, hey, you can like work remotely uh, or something like that. But you just, you know, we can't we can't lose, you know, a person like that. You know, you know we can't lose a set of hands. So uh, that just I so, you know, I talked it over with my wife and I just said, hey, you know, what do you think? And she was like, I think it's time. You know, I think it's time for you to like give this a shot. That's awesome. And I know you mentioned you thought your first answer to your story of your background was long winded. But what I loved about it was the fact that every single one of those was kind of a stepping stone to getting to where you are now. And you really couldn't have left any of those out. You know, I mean, each job gave you some type of skill to take to the next job to get you where you are. Um, And that's one of the things that we like to, you know, kind of portray to our listeners is take what you can from every job that you have so that you can get to that position that you want to be in and utilize those skills. So that's absolutely oh, awesome. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, I think Steve Jobs said one time, you know, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect right. them looking backwards. 
Right. And for me, it's really interesting how each of my jobs has led right into the next. And so far, each of my books has led right into the next. Like I kind of, I always joke with people that I'd like to be a chain smoker when it comes to projects. Like I'd kind of like to light the new one with the end of the other. Right. right. I think too, there, if you're at a job for a while, something that I noticed in my jobs was there, there, there was a glaring problem that appeared in each of my jobs. Like there was a problem that I was having just personally. Like one of the first problem, you know, when I was a librarian was I was just realizing that like, man, most websites suck, you know, like most websites are no good. Right. And when I was doing web design, it was like, even if you build a nice website, it can be crummy because um, no one pays attention to it. No one writes good content for it. <laughs> and so that led right into my copywriting job. You know, So it's like not only can you steal skills and stuff from each of your jobs, if you pay attention to like what's bothering you a lot about your job, your current job, you can kind of like figure out what you want to take on next. Yeah, that's awesome. I kind of wanted to dive in then, as we mentioned it a bunch, and Steal Like an Artist is the the book that kind of introduced me to you, and it was actually introduced to me from my dad, who read it, and he said, you know, you should read this because I'm always coming up with ideas. I'm usually talking to John about them. The first thing I'll do is Google it. It's It's already out there in some fashion, and then I give up. And so my dad was like, check this out. Every good idea is stolen. Don't let that deter you. And so it's really cool to get to talk to you because I look at it as, okay, it's not the end if it's been done. Let's just make it better. So could, could you kind of go into Steal Like an Artist a little bit and explain the premise and why there's still hope for people like myself? Yeah, definitely. What you just said reminded me of my favorite um, Loretta Lynn quote. She said, you have to be first great or different. Um and uh, I've always thought the different was the most that was the easiest of all of them, <laughs> um, you know, because being great is really hard and being first is a matter of luck sometimes. But um, Steal Like an Artist is really um, basically the, the premise of the book is that nothing that we do creative work or, you know, in our work lives is completely original, that all new ideas are simply recombinations of old ideas or, you know, old ideas transformed into something new. And that the way to get better at your work is not to run away from influence, but to actually run towards it and embrace it and try to suck up as much of it as you can. Um, but, you know, Steal Like an Artist, I think, is, you know, it kind of has gotten branded and marketed as a creativity book. And I never thought about the word creativity when I was writing the actual um, original uh, speech. I, I mean, the word creativity was in the speech, but I was thinking about setting up a life. You know, I was really um, Steal Like an Artist to me was like, how do you set up a life in which you can access your creativity. You know, it's not a book about they'll like teach you, you know, like the actual nuts and bolts as much as it is like here's a way of thinking and here's kind of a way of setting up a life in which you can kind of like access your creativity. And, you know, the the underlying premise of that is that creativity is not something that you're like ordained by the gods with. It's not magic. It's not um you know, everyone has access to it, and it's literally just a tool um, that you can use to solve problems and make stuff. 
I wanted to ask you real quick about if you had a favorite of your blackout art. And the only reason I ask is when Chris told me that we were going to have you on, I started doing research and I went over to 20 by 200 and saw the creativity of subtraction piece and was like, oh my God, I have to have this. So immediately bought it. And I just wanted to know if you had a favorite piece out there and what it means to you more than what's actually there on the paper. Oh, wow. Um, gosh, that's a great question. I know that's probably a tough one. I mean, that's kind of a <laughs> kind of one that you probably want to think about. And I mean, if we if you want to get back to it at any time during the interview, that's cool. But I was just really interested in how you came up with, you know, each of the ideas for these, because I mean, they're all different. and They all say something very unique and just wanted to kind of see what the process was for them. So let's take, um, you know, one of my uh, one of my favorites recently is a poem called What is Marriage? Um, and, uh, it, it's actually available through 20 by 200.com. Um, so it's one of the more popular ones. Um, but I like this poem, you know, if people Google, what is marriage, Austin Cleon, you can pull it up and kind of look at it. Um, but I like this poem because I actually didn't, um, it's made by a, uh, it was made from an article about the Emmy awards and it was actually, I think it was about modern family. Um, the, the TV show, but the poem goes like this and it's very short. Uh, it says, uh, marriage is two people in love standing in the same bathroom. <laughs> That's the whole piece, you know, but, um, one of the tricks for me with doing the blackout poems is kind of the message of steel. It's like, you can, sorry. No, no, oh, no problem. We got Sounds dogs just too. like John's dog. <laughs> I got a yappy dachshund downstairs. So anyway, the big thing for me when I'm doing a blackout poem is to somehow try to completely transform the original article into something new. So to take an article about the Emmy Awards, you know, and turn it into something about marriage or, you know, some domestic scene or, you know, like take an article that's about one thing and turn it into something else, you know. So um, this, this poem was cool because uh, you can still – you. You know, some of the poems I black out so much that you can't really tell where they're from. But this one you can actually see like, oh, it was from, you know, it was about the Emmy Awards. You can see a few of the sentences. Um, but I remember when I made this, I was thinking about Megan and I, my wife and I brushing our teeth at night. You know, we have kind of a small bathroom, so you kind of have to squeeze in. So that's really the image I was going for when I made the poem. And then when I posted it online... A few of my gay friends kind of read it as a gay marriage poem. Hmm. And so that's kind of the magic of what happens with art and poetry, especially, is that, you know, you come up with an image and it means something to you, but then you put it out in the world and it means something different to every person who comes in contact with it. Um, but what was cool about that poem is then when you know, my gay friends, you know, a few of my gay friends said like, oh, this is so great. You know, I love this. I would love to own this. Then when gay marriage passed in New York, I emailed um, Jen Beckman, you know, the woman who runs 20 by 200. And I said, we should really put this out as a print as like a celebration, you know. So uh, yeah. I think the point of why I brought that up was just that there's something very interesting happening right now in general for people who do creative work or really any kind of work or, or you know, um, an artist in particular is that 
it's always been you put things out in the world and you have no control over what happens to them. You know, you have no control over how people respond to the work. You have no control over how they take it. But now what you can do is monitor that response. Like you can kind of, you know, people can reach you. They can tweet at you. They can, you know, (laughs) write in the blog comments. You can kind of hear how people are responding to your work. And then you can take that and you can do things with that response. You know, so instead of just like that very romantic idea of like an artist, you know, hoarded away in his studio, just like pounding things out and then just throwing them out, you know, like you can actually, you know, if you can stomach it, because sometimes it's not real easy, but you can like let people into your process. You can kind of be porous in a way. And so and to let things in as much as you put them out. So I just think it's a really exciting time to be. um you know, to be a, uh, to be a creator. It's just, uh, you know, it's just, um, I don't think I could be doing what I'm, what I'm doing with, without the internet. So, uh, yeah. Now you mentioned being able to stomach that because that's one of the things that I see is especially on the internet with people being anonymous and not having their name and picture out there. People say very hateful things very fast Did you, I mean, did you run into any of that with some of your stuff? I mean, how do you, how do you get past that as an artist? Because you could get a hundred, 200 positive comments and all it really takes is that one person making some sort of comment that just gets right under your skin and makes you second guess things or question yourself or whatever it may be. Did you run into that experience or were you able just to look past that stuff and kind of focus on the positive? Oh, man, it it never ends, you know? It's like uh, um, what you're describing has happened, you know, the whole time I've been online. Um, it usually happens, though, when your work gets taken from the context of your own site where you kind of own things and put in another context. Like I remember in the beginning, you know, the poems, uh, you know, got written up on like um, uh, a meta filter. Which, you know, Metafilter is actually a pretty, um, uh, it's a pretty civil place. Um, you know, the commenters tend to be pretty um, cool. But that's when I started, when I started posting the poems, you know, people started saying things like, oh, you know, William Burroughs called, he wants his idea back. And like, <laughs> eat rip off of this person, you know. And what was interesting was, Instead of completely ignoring a lot of those comments, I read them and I was like, I don't know who that person is. You know, they would list someone, not William Burroughs, but they would list someone like Tom Phillips. And I would say, who the hell is Tom Phillips? So I'd look up Tom Phillips and it turns out that here's this work that's like super similar that I had no idea about. So part of the story of of Newspaper Blackout is like me finding all these people that have done you know, basically finding this 250-year-old history of finding poetry in the newspaper and then feeling like instead of quitting because it was an unoriginal idea, just trying to steal everything I could from these people who had come before and keep pushing the poems into directions that no one had taken them before. You know, instead of doing super colorful art pieces like someone like Tom Phillips I would do, you know, completely stark black and white poems, you know, instead of being crazy and almost borderline unreadable like William Burroughs, you know, I would make these very like, you know, uh, straightforward, easy to read poems, you know. So 
But that continues today, you know, I mean, um, that whole phenomenon of, you know, positive and negative feedback, it's like, you know, you'll get, you know, you've got 60 positive reviews on Amazon and then one person comes on and says, you know, this is the crappiest book I've ever read, you know. Um, You know, one of the things I say in Steel is that validation is for parking, you know, it's just like like that. I like that. You know, you cannot go looking for validation from external sources, and that includes positive feedback and negative feedback. I think the only thing you can do, you just cannot let either of those things go to your head. And so what you have to do is just figure out what you can learn from each piece of feedback, no matter whether it's positive or or, uh, negative, and just figure out what, okay, how does this how can I use this? You know, it's just like the book says, you know, um, you know, how do you look at the world like an artist? You know, first you figure out what's worth stealing and then you move on to the next thing. Right. And, and that's literally how I feel about comments now. It's like, did this person put anything helpful forward or was or not? You know, it's like, you know, I, every day someone emails me with something really interesting that I track down that like is really, you know, cool and, uh, you know, feeds into my work. So much of Steel was like quotes that people had sent me after they knew I was working on it and, you know, stuff like that. So I think it's really, you know, you just have to figure out, I think when it comes to feedback, it's just like what's what's helpful and what's not helpful, not like what's nice and what's not nice, you know. Yeah, and that's an interesting way of looking at it. I think back to when John and I first started this, we it took us so long, so much work to figure out how to get a podcast out there. And we did our first one and we thought it was awesome. And we got a comment from somebody on iTunes that said, Next time close the door to your garage. And we were like, What does that even mean? And we were all pissed off and we we're like god they don't even appreciate how much time it took and now that we look back the sound sucked like that guy nailed it you know it sounded like we were calling from a tin can so i think you know once you can get past that there might be a lot of good a lot of good advice in those in those comments yeah i mean all those snarky original things like william burroughs called and what's his idea back you know <laughs> you're like william burroughs like, hey, I do know William Burroughs, but you know what? I haven't researched him as enough as I should. And then, you know, I started researching William Burroughs, and then I found out that, like, he got the idea for the cut-up method from his friend Brian Geisen, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and that's and that's really the story of, you know, when you make your way back, you realize that influence is unavoidable. There's nothing, you know, like, no one just comes up with this stuff. Everything has a context, and everything, nothing comes from nowhere, you know. Yeah, and well, and along those lines, I thought one of the things that it's in it's in your speech that you did at the Economist and and all that. You said the you were talking about the genealogy of ideas, and it's kind of along what we're talking about. And it's something that that I never really thought about. You know, there's this whole you made it a family tree type thing. You know, could you talk a little bit about the genealogy of ideas? Yeah, I've always been obsessed with genealogy. Like I've always, um, I took genealogy when I was really young as a 4-H project. I don't know if, uh, well, Google 4-H if your readers don't know what it is uh, or listeners. Um, but uh, just as you have a family geo- genealogy, like you also have a genealogy of your thoughts, like and your ideas, and you can actually establish. Uh, kind of idea genealogy by 
you know, kind of like starting, you know, one of the things I tell people to do is like find someone that you really love, you know, like say you're a filmmaker, you know, and you love P.T. Anderson, the guy who did Boogie Nights and There Will Be Blood. You know, you watch every movie that P.T. Anderson has ever done. You know, you just completely saturate yourself with his work. You read his movies, you read his interviews, you know, anything you can get your hands on. And then you pick three people who influenced him. So you'd pick like, let's just do two because that's what comes to mind. (laughs) You know, you find out that he really loves Robert Altman, the director, and he really loves um, Scorsese. So then you watch every Robert Altman movie, you know, you can, and then you watch every Scorsese movie you can, and you just repeat this process like kind of as far as you can go. And what you get at the end of it is just this, you know, you've basically gotten a history of modern filmmaking, but you've done it in this very specific way in which the connections are 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 meaningful. You know, so you have this huge kind of back catalog from which to steal from. And a good way to make sure that it's not, you know, that your influences aren't too homogenous is that you then jump to like a completely different filmmaker. You know, you would pick someone who was the opposite of P.T. Anderson and you would start doing the same thing, you know. So I think it's really what the genealogy of ideas is about is like kind of it's a method for studying your form, you know, and kind of exploring ideas. It's just kind of a directed way of like kind of getting a, a picture of of where you stand, you know, because a lot of creative work is about kind of establishing where you are in relation to other creators, you know, like whether you see yourself as part of a lineage or whether you see yourself breaking apart from a certain lineage, you know, stuff like that. And that was the coolest part is how, I don't know, you kind of turned ideas and for me, creativity into a trackable history, if you will. So I thought that was really cool. And and thanks for kind of diving in. The last thing actually that I wanted to talk about is how you go into, you know, imitation is not flattery. And it seems counterintuitive when you talk about, wait, steal like an artist, but don't imitate, you know, it's not flattery. So could you kind of explain how you came up with that, what you mean by it, why it's not flattery? Yeah, so the whole point of steel like an artist, you know, people always uh, zoom in on the steel part and they forget the like an artist part, you know? Like, the whole idea is that you steal everything you can, that you just, you know, soak up everything you can and you and you use that as a starting point, you know? And so, like, in the beginning of our creative lives, we learn by copying, You know, no one doesn't like everyone learns by copying. You know, when we learn to write, we copy the alphabet. When um, we learn to draw, you know, we'll copy, you know, uh, photographs or or other drawings or, you know, um, musicians learn to play by copying scales. But then after you kind of, you know, digest the language and digest the work of other people, then you figure out how to push things into a more, you know, a new territory. I don't really like to use the word original because, you know, that's like the kind of the whole point of the book is that originality is just kind of this mirage. Um, But I think there are, you know, I like Ezra Pound's uh, statement. He said, make it new, you know. And so I think what you can do is, you know, you just take all of the things you've stolen and you just see it as a starting point. 
and you figure out what you can do next that hasn't been done. Like, you know, can you combine these two very different things to get something new? Can you take one thing and kind of modify it with your own thought or put it in a different context to get something new? You know, that kind of thing. But imitation is not flattery. You know, they say, oh, it's the sincerest form of flattery. Well, you know, true imita- uh, flattery if the idea is that you steal from your heroes, you steal from the things you love, then the way to honor those heroes and the way to honor what you love is to transform it into something new, is to kind of push things forward. Like the example I always love to use is that Kobe Bryant, the basketball player, he's one of the first basketball players to ever have access to VHS tapes, like you know clip reels of his favorite players. So a big part of him growing up and learning how to be a basketball player was he would watch these clip reels on these VHS tapes of all these favorite players, and he would mimic the moves. You know, He would memorize them and copy them. But the problem was when he got to the court, he realized that he didn't have the same body type as you know Michael Jordan. He didn't have the same body type as like Charles Barkley. So it's like all of a sudden he has to, you know, modify these moves to make them his own. And then he's also not playing against the same people in the same context, you know. So he has to kind of transform the moves he's stolen into his own moves. And he talks about, you know, in this interview, he says, um, you know, when I go out on the court, I just try to honor those players I've stolen from by kind of taking the game to the next level. And so I think that's kind of a really good metaphor for all creative work is like, you know, you steal moves from everyone, but then are you pushing your form forward? Are you trying to, you know, get it to a a new place, a place where no one's gone, you know, a place uh, that are you improving things or are you just cluttering? the world with you know mediocrity <laughs> well austin i think that's a perfect place to end we thank you so so much for being on this show you were great steal like an artist is phenomenal your artwork is great and can be found on 20 by 200.com is there anything else that you would like to plug a website twitter or wherever people can find any of your stuff that's out there oh i'm so easy to find just google austin cleon or steal like an artist and i'll pop right up Awesome. Thank you so much. We appreciate you being on the show today. Oh, thanks for having me. This was fun. All right, Austin. Best of luck. Okay. Thanks, y'all. Thanks. Bye. Welcome back. As always, hope you guys enjoyed another episode of Smart People Podcast. This week, the creative Austin Cleon. Hopefully, he inspired you guys to go out there, do that artwork that you want to do. You know, if you want to take Picasso's work, make it a little snazzier, go for it. You yeah, might, I mean, might be onto something. Yeah, who was that guy anyways? Who's he to say anything? I think his name's Pablo. Ah, ah P- Pablo Pop. Escobar. So yeah, you know, it was really cool. And, and he also talks about the origins of how he came to write his book about stealing art, basically. He, he was asked to give a commencement speech. And he came up with the 10 things that he wished somebody would have told him. And so he goes on a couple different ways with it. Really recommend getting the book, which you can pick up, you know, through our link at smartpeoplepodcast.com. Use our Amazon as always. But it's really cool. It's just some some common sense type things that he puts a good spin on it. And he always keeps in mind how to be creative 
and how to kind of be true to yourself, how to go out on a limb, all the types of things we believe in here at Smart People Podcast. But I did want to say, I'm going to go ahead and interrupt here. One, it was my birthday yesterday. Happy so birthday. If you all want to wish me a happy birthday, feel free to, to check us out on Facebook and, and shoot me and a little send note. Send him a donation. Yeah, no, that's fine. I'm, I'm not, I'm not below, below that at all. And also congratulations to my brother and uh, his beautiful wife. They just had their baby girl this morning. So that was a pretty awesome addition to the Stemp family. So congrats, guys. Happy birthday to her, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. She, she was nice enough to wait one day, eight hours, actually. Yeah, because you probably don't share. No. Actually, she's not greedy. Think about that. Like, I would never have a birthday again. Yeah. It'd be all her. But like I said yesterday, there was six there people on Facebook that had the same birthday as you, which yeah. blew my mind. So anyways, that's that. We did uh, get a chance to give away a few books, by the way, of, of Meg J's from uh, two episodes ago. So they're in the mail. And so we really appreciate you guys kind of writing into us, letting us know that you like the show. We try and send some books out your way if we have them in which we usually do. Also, John, tell them about how to subscribe to us a little easier. Yeah, so guys, last week or the week before, I don't remember which week it was, I recommended going out and getting an app called Downcast, which was $1.99. It automates your podcast downloading straight to your iPhone. And lo and behold, the next day, Apple released their own app called Podcasts. So I like to think that I'm ahead of the curve. <laughs> By if, a day. By at least a day. I mean, I owned the app prior to that. But <laughs> if Apple thinks it's a big enough deal to release a standalone app for podcasts, they're kind of saying, hey, this is a medium that actually means something. And we're pulling it out of iTunes and we're having its own app for it. So go on iTunes, find that app too. It's free. It's called Podcasts. You can download all your apps over the phone. You can set things up to download. Make sure you subscribe to Smart People Podcast. That's on what there. I want your first one to be. Just, yeah, just download the app, subscribe to Smart People Podcast, and you'll it's get beautiful. Them, you'll too. get them automatically there. So next time you're in that car ride, you're stuck in traffic, you get to learn uh, learn a little something, which is what we do best here. Is we we learn and then we pass it along to you. So, and mind you, we don't get paid to promote these apps. We just want you to subscribe. We've seen a really good response recently with this new season of Smart People Podcast. Downloads have been almost at an all-time high. So we really appreciate that. Make sure to tell your friends, put it on Facebook, you know, do all those things that help us out so we can continue to grow and get better guests for you. I agree. And I've got a little workaround for iTunes too. So you know how we always ask people to rate, comment, subscribe, that kind of stuff. Yes. I still want you guys to rate. <laughs> But in the comment section, if you say, hey, great show, hey, you need to work on this, also throw in there, hey, why don't you guys talk to so-and-so? Why don't you guys have this person on? If you put guest suggestions in there, then these guests can actually see that people are looking to have them on. That's a good point. It might help us land some bigger guests, that kind of stuff. But also, it helps us get comments and ratings on there, which is what we're trying to do. So we can increase the traffic to the podcast. Yep. So I think that's enough for this episode. Thanks again for tuning in. We have some awesome guests lined up every week going forward. So make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on anything we have coming up. Smartpeoplepodcast.com. Check us out. Hit us up. Let us know. See you guys next week. And don't forget to send Stemp birthday present. Boom.